Welcome, listeners of the College Solvers Podcast. I'm your host, Luis, and this time, it's actually just me. Houston's not a part of this episode, but he'll be back on a future episode. And today, we're actually going to be recording an episode that is unlike any other one that we've really done in recent episodes. I know we started out actually having some interview episodes, and we are going to be doing more of those with people in their career fields and all that, but... I thought, what better than to highlight college students and their journey to get to their career or if they're still working towards it, all the stories that are out there so y'all can actually see that it's not just a matter of getting your degree and getting a job. Sometimes you got to struggle for uh, quite some time and others might get lucky, but it's always important to know that at the end of the day, you can actually get to the destination that you want to get, whatever career that might be there will always be a position for you somewhere out there and you might have to wait a little bit longer than others, maybe a little less, but it's it's a little different for everyone. So the first guest that we actually have here actually has quite an interesting story that is something that really impresses me because of how much he's done in such a short amount of time. So his name is Hector Betanzos. He actually started the page on Instagram called Intern versus Manager. And his first post, get this, his first post, and as of this recording, it's less than a month ago, was January 18th. Brand new page. He currently has 68.1 thousand followers on Instagram. So go follow his page. It's really interesting. They have a really great mission going on with the company that he is currently working for. and. I'm really interested in hearing the story here, especially me. I was an intern a few times in my career, and I know the importance of actually getting that experience to then enter into a full-time job, whether it's post-college or you do your internship during college. I actually did most of mine during college. There's always opportunities for anyone, regardless of uh, what stage you are in your educational journey. Well, welcome to the College Solver Sector. Again, appreciate you being here, being uh, the first former college student that, that we have as a part of this new interview series that we're starting. So thank you. How's it going, man? Luis, thank you so much for inviting me to be on. I'm really happy to be here. And, and I'm really glad that you found, you know, my story interesting, <laughs> interesting enough to invite me onto your, onto your podcast. So thank you. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm really curious to hear all the details, right? I mean, the story, the real, like you, you were saying offline, right? Just, it's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure there's a long journey. <laughs> that led to where you're at right now and tons of sacrifices and tons of going through, you know, different rejections and all that. And we've all been there and it's, it's a tough situation to be in. So, you know, I know you'll, you'll serve as inspiration to anyone listening right now who might be feeling the same way or might not even be in that situation yet. Right. But it's like, you might be there. <laughs> so For sure. just uh, feel this way, but I want to go ahead and get started with your journey when you started college like first of all just like tell me like what motivated you to start college your first generation graduate just like i am as well and i know it's tough when you don't really have anyone to like guide you there you kind of have to like guide yourself in in the way of like attending college and figuring out so how was that like and where would you go to college yeah so i really like telling this story because for me growing up college was never a certainty. It was sort of something that I, I knew I wanted to achieve and strive for, but there was no college fund. There was no 
parents who were college graduates or older brothers, older siblings. I was an only child for a long time. But anyways, it's freshman year of, of high school. And I'm walking through the hallways and I see this poster of this senior that had just won an award. It says, I think his name was George. Like George wins a $250,000 scholarship to go to Stanford University. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, first of all, they give out scholarships that big. Second of all, like kids from Oxnard High School. That's where I was. That's where I grew up. I was born in Ventura, but I grew up in Oxnard. Like second of all, kids from Oxnard High School are getting these to go to Stanford. And so from that moment, I, I like kept telling myself, that is the thing that I need, right? I need to get this full ride scholarship. And it turns out that it was through a organization called QuestBridge. I don't know if you're familiar with QuestBridge, but QuestBridge tries to match low income, high achieving college, uh, high school students to elite universities with the promise of a, a full ride scholarship for, for the time that you attend college. Schools that are partnered with QuestBridge include Harvard, MIT, Princeton, Stanford, Duke, USC, Columbia, you know, some like really, really big names, right? So fast forward senior fall, and I am like behind on on college essays and stuff. And my counselor goes, hey, do you still want to get that scholarship? Well, the deadline is next week. So I like go into this panic mode. I'm like writing essays and I, I submit them. And so my list was, my ranking was Stanford, Princeton, I think, what was it? Stanford, Princeton, Duke, like USC, Columbia. Anyways, it was like kind of mixed like that. And eventually I got accepted to Princeton University. This was on December 1st of like 2016 or something like that. Was super, super pumped. I think I was maybe one of a, like a handful of students to even study out of state. I think I was maybe the only student to go to an Ivy League my year because most kids from at Oxford High School, they either stay within the UC system, the CSU system, or community college, or they could just go straight to work, right? So awesome, right? <laughs> I'm ready to go to college. And then I get the acceptance package. And in the acceptance package, Princeton offers first incoming first-year students the opportunity to travel abroad for nine months to do community service and live with a homestay family and learn a different language and learn a different culture. And I jumped at it right away because I had never traveled outside the country before. Both my parents, both my parents were undocumented. They now live in, in Mexico, but they were undocumented. And so traveling abroad was never really an option for us. And I never felt safe traveling alone. So at 17 years old, I'm presented this opportunity to travel to one of five destinations for nine months for free, right? The university is paying for all these trips because they want students to have that worldly experience and that worldly perspective to bring back to campus. Because then otherwise you'd get kind of the same like boarding school, like wealthy kind of attitudes and perspectives in your, in your cohorts. So I signed up. And I went to Indonesia for nine months. I was there from like October of 2017 until like May of, of 2018 and had a fantastic time I, living with a homestay family. I learned Indonesian. And while I was there, the majority of the time that I was there, the seven out of the nine months, I was helping and working with an NGO to rescue homeless and at-risk 
of, of being homeless, uh, children. Mm-hmm. From, yeah, like by, by providing them food, shelter, healthcare, counseling, education, things like that. And while I was there, I, I got to do, I kind of got to work on some marketing for them, building a, a GoFundMe that ended up being broadcast on local television in Ventura and Oxnard and like the 805 area. So it was a ton of fun, huge success there. And I loved it so much that I've gone back three times. I'm, I'm going back to Indonesia in April, actually, to go visit my homestay family and see my friends oh. and all of that. So it was a really, really exciting start to college, right? <laughs> and I, I get to Princeton and it's like an entirely different world. For the, for the reason number one, it's on the East Coast. It's a different vibe from the West Coast, right? And I know it's <laughs> yeah. a cliche at this point, you know, and I don't want to kind of build in onto these stereotypes, but the sort of lifestyle and maybe some of the friction that you may encounter living on a day-to-day basis on the East Coast is is different than the sort of friction that you would face living on the West Coast. So that's one reason. Second reason is that the spaces that I was occupying at Princeton and in Central Jersey are have been historically reserved for wealthy white upper class ruling mm-hmm. class you know land owning class like no like essentially american nobility mm-hmm. for 200 plus years and the thing you have to remember about princeton university is that it is quite literally older than this nation the kind of the, the school was founded before the founding of this country that's how old this place is <laughs> So, so that's kind of like the legacy that I was stepping into as a first generation, low income, Mexican American, like first gen, you know, all that. So needless to say, it was quite difficult the first year and second year. So in those first, I would say the first year and a half, I'll talk about the first year and a half. The first year and a half was a lot about figuring out figuring out who these people were that I was interacting with and how I wanted to relate to them because there was a lot of pressure to sort of conform, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think it's, 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 to be frank, yeah, there was a lot of pressure to sort of conform and there, I think there was a, you would feel ostracized if you didn't happen to kind of fit with what, what the expectations were. One example of that is let me think an example of that would be like the the sort of like party culture princeton is a small school between the undergraduates and the graduates i think there are about 6000 students so that's that's everybody right and princeton is also a town it's, it's called princeton new jersey it's a small town so there isn't much to do new york city is an hour by car an hour by train, Philadelphia is an hour away, and there's there's kind of really not much in between <laughs> in between Princeton and New York and Princeton and Philly. So what Princeton students have figured out is that you kind of have to party like like partying and excessive drinking is one of the few ways that you can socialize because there aren't like there aren't very good bars or clubs or like you know, things to go out and, and, and do in town because it's so separate from, it seems like the rest of society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so much so that they call Princeton the orange bubble. 
because you can find everything you need on campus or in the immediate vicinity of, of campus. So most people don't leave. Anyways, I bring this, I bring this up just to say that I think if you were maybe the kind of person to want to stay in your dorm rather than go out and party and drink, like I think you would get kind of left out of a lot of circles. There's also times when you're going on break, right? This was, this was a common occurrence for me where either during fall break or spring break, friends would get together and say, Hey, like, where do we want to go? Do we want to go to like Puerto Rico, do we want to go to Europe? And and I have to be like, sorry, I'm staying on campus because I don't have money. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that that's kind of that was the environment that I stepped into. And thankfully, what I think Princeton does well and can can definitely do a lot better on, but what it does well is try to integrate the undergraduates into the general population as quickly as possible. One of they do that through three ways. The first is through a pre-orientation trip that you can choose from. You can either go camping in the woods for five days with a group of like 10 others. You you go out into the wilderness with your food and your supplies, and that's it. Right. And you have to hike maybe 10 miles a day, or I don't know, right? That's one, that's one thing you can do. The other thing you can do is to work on a community service project in the area. And there you stay at like, you kind of stay at their facility. You can shower, <laughs> There's, you know, internet, yeah. things like that. So, so as an incoming freshman, you have the choice to do either one of those before your actual orientation, right? So then you have your orientation when you're back on campus, everybody's back on campus, you're going to events. You're meeting people. There's like social events for for undergrads. So you get to meet others there. And then the third thing they do is with the residential, like the RAs, right? The dorm, what would you call them? The people in charge of the the dorms, right? The dorm managers. uh, The dorm managers, yeah, yeah. So so each floor of a building is kind of like one pod. They call it a Z group. So you have your Zs that make up a Z group. And then you have the RA, the RA that's in charge of that group. So early on, I got to meet a ton of people, which I really appreciated. Yeah. And, and there are also resources for first generation low income students. There is actually a program, which I didn't get to do. I chose not to do it. But there's a program where if you are from these marginalized, like overlooked communities, they invite you to Princeton during the summer to take courses early for to give you a chance to adjust to sort of the pace and the academic rigor that will be expected once the school year begins and that's that is exclusive to first generation and low income students so again i bring this up just to say that princeton i think was actually the first university to offer like you'll have to fact check me on this but it was like princeton was the first to offer full financial aid packages to like students who, sh- who showed the need of, of okay. all the IVs. So like the reason I ended up picking Princeton was not because of the name or whatever. I actually didn't know what the Ivy leagues, like what the Ivy league was until my senior fall of high school. Right. Like to me, these were just names on a piece of paper, but the reason I picked Princeton was because they guaranteed me a full ride scholarship, you know, like 
zero money out of out of pocket. Whereas a school like UCLA or or Santa Cruz or Santa Barbara, like I think I would have to pay fifteen thousand dollars out of pocket every year, even though I was an in-state student and and you know I had good grades and all of that, right? So it's I don't know. I'm still kind of thinking about that. That it's unfortunate that I wanted to be in California, and California schools are good, but the promises that Princeton made and kept, right, were just too good to to overlook. So that's how I ended up there. Oh yeah, I would have done the same too. I don't blame you. I would. I mean, I want to stay here in the state if they're gonna pay you so much and you won't have to have all the loan debt that unfortunately a lot of people have to go through. Like, hey, you you go in. It's a no brainer. Yeah, yeah, it's a no brainer. And you know, I think back and I'm like, man, was I baited? Because like, truth is, truth is, is I had a I had a pretty rough time at Princeton. Which which leads me to like year my sophomore year, right? Oh. This is like March of 2020, and everybody's getting kicked off of campus because of COVID. Oh yeah. I think I I think around that time, kind of COVID was starting to to get mm. to spread on the East Coast, like really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, like on the coast, right? So so anyways, Princeton gives us the option to stay on campus. If you can prove that you have to stay on campus, by the way, not everybody was allowed to stay on campus. You had to show that going home put you at risk or you had to show that like going home was detrimental to your academics or your mental health. And I chose to stay on campus. And here's why. I actually had nowhere else to go because at the time, well, in January of 2020, my family moved to Mexico. So there was no place for me to go to in Oxnard anymore in California, right? My nearest relatives, I have an aunt who lives in San Luis Obispo and I have a cousin who lives here in Chicago, but I wasn't really close to them. And so the thought of like moving out, doing remote classes, kind of not having friends around in, in a new space, it just didn't ex- excite me. So so I stayed on campus. <laughs> but then it turns out that campus itself was miserable too because there was no one around. The food was actually horrible. It, it like, For whatever reason, the quality just deteriorated once staff were let go and once students left and the schedules were all crazy. So I worked out a deal between me and my friends where I would sleep on their couches like a, a week at a time. And then, and then alternate between them. So beginning April of 2020 until September of 2020, I was living on couches and living in my car in Oxnard, like bouncing around between my two friends in this like weird agreement that we had. Not to mention, still had to take my normal courses, write all my essays, take my finals, and work DoorDash to support myself. Thankfully, the scholarship that Princeton uh, gave me, you know, helped. However, it's just when like being in that situation, like I didn't want, I didn't want that to be my only source of income. Right. So, so that year 2020 was pretty rough, not having a place to go home to when everyone else, you know, had places to go home to. I had to like create something out of nothing. And yeah. And I ended up staying in California for the rest of my sophomore year and the beginning of my junior year. 
So like the fall semester of my junior year, then Princeton invited students to go back to campus. And so I went back. And when I went back, I was also elected president of my eating club. (laughs) I'm saying eating club in quotes because it's such a weird thing to have to talk about anytime I bring this up. But Princeton has these things called eating clubs. If you go and visit the town and the university, you'll see that they are these big mansions where students go to dine and socialize. The way that the sort of quick summary is, is that they're co-ed frats where people eat and party, but they don't, they don't really live there. I mean, some people do, but most people don't. And these exist because the school is, is like so old that they didn't have cafeterias back then. There was no, you know, like rest, there weren't restaurants around, Uh like really had to like cook for yourself. And so what these old, like rich white folks did 200 years ago was they got together, they bought these mansions, they hired staff or possibly slaves. I'm actually not too sure on the history there, but that is sort of like the legacy of the eating clubs is that they, they started as these places where rich students would gather to dine. And then they slowly evolved into a more like social, like a place to socialize because that didn't really exist on campus until they started adding dining halls, until they started adding student dorms and adding more sort of infrastructure around the on-campus experience. That actually arrived really, really late in the history of Princeton. So these eating clubs substituted, were the substitute for, the, for, for that time, right? The place to go eat, the place to go socialize, the place to go like uh, hang out. I was elected president of one of those. <laughs> so my club, it was founded in, what was it, ni- 1901, right? It's a more, more than 120-year-old institution managing like 200 members in the middle of a pandemic with new like health regulations from the state, from the town, from the university, from with like within our own organization and myself and my group of officers, we, we kind of, we lost a year away from campus to practice and learn how to, how it is that you need, you know, what you need to do to run an eating club. So we arrived on the scene with like nothing, you know, no experience in these really, really big demands of, of keeping alive this uh, 120 year old like institution thing. And it was, it was like a ton of fun getting to do all of that with my friends. Fun fact, part of the events that we, we host are these like backyard concerts and ASAP Ferg was invited by un- by the university to come and perform in our backyard. So oh, I, wow. I now tell people that I've I hosted ASAP Ferg in my backyard <laughs> for a concert. And yeah, that was it was is like that space is so cool because I mean you get to be in a mansion with 150, 200 of your friends with tens of thousands of dollars to kind of just fuck around with. I mean yeah. this this is all coming from membership dues, right? Mm. Uh, but but people buy into these clubs for the food and also the events, the mm. social experiences and all of that. So you have that, all of that happening. And yet somehow the living in the eating clubs was also the cheapest option in Princeton. 
because like for officers, the rent was heavily subsidized. Mm -hmm. So I was paying, I think, $300 for my bedroom in this 100-year-old mansion. Whereas if I moved like a block away and got a a regular bedroom in a regular home, it would be like $1,000. So like it's just really weird living in, in these spaces Right, where I'm in this mansion, but it's also cheap and affordable. And <laughs> yeah, and like being a student, I don't know, right? It's no, kind of nowhere crazy. else. Yeah, I'm like nowhere else could you live cheaper in a mansion. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, well, an yeah. absurd statement, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, um, that's great. It's good to enjoy the mansion life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it had to end at some point. And yeah. <laughs> I, I, end, I had to move out. I moved out and decided to live off campus my senior year. And that was a sort of strategic choice because of the, like sort of impending inflation and recession. <laughs> so, so this is like what end of end of 2022, right, right? The fall of 2022, and I'm thinking, shoot, I'm about to graduate. I think you know inflation is going to get worse, and there might be a recession. And I I know people are getting laid off, and a lot of my friends, their contracts or their employments got pushed back a whole year. So I decided to take my scholarship, live off campus and save all of that money because I knew there would be a day where I would be looking for a job and I wouldn't find one. And I needed to have savings to like support me. Yeah, I let me think that that didn't mean that I didn't have fun my senior year. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I went to the World Cup for my senior thesis. I somehow managed to convince the university (laughs) to let me write my senior thesis about the World Cup, pay me to go and interview people for for my research. And I had leftover money to go see Argentina and Croatia play. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I kind of pulled that out of nothing because I haven't even explained to you what I studied. I, I, I am on paper. I am a... Near Eastern studies major. What that means is I study the Middle East. And so in the fall of my senior year, I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, I have to write a a thesis about the Middle East. I know that I can get funding to travel. And it's always been a dream of mine to go to the World Cup. Oh, guess what? (laughs) The World Cup is in the winter when you're on break. Like you can, the schedules align and your, your finals are remote. So you don't even have to be on campus for your finals. So all, all these things came together and I, I was able to go to the Middle East for the first time, stayed with a homestay family there and had a wonderful, wonderful time. Met some really cool people like artists, activists. And yeah, I think I wrote a decent essay, I, or a de- decent thesis. You know, I got a B plus on it. I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> Well, the all the different things just aligned so well together, right? It's like <laughs> that, like yeah, you chose a good major, you could check that off the bucket list too. And the fact that they pay for all that is like even better since I know it's really expensive to travel for anywhere, right? Whatever, wherever there's a World Cup, it's going to be expensive to travel there. And don't even get me started with like even just like hotels and yeah, exactly. and all that, right? <laughs> And even more so for this World Cup, because Qatar is like a super tiny country. So there was a big shortage of housing, a big shortage of like like hotels, right? And places to stay. So people would stay in like Saudi Arabia 
and then they would fly or they would stay yeah just like in nearby neighboring countries and then like fly in for games because that was cheaper than getting a hotel in the country and yeah so that kind of was a nice capstone to my time at Princeton and I graduated in May and immediately after graduating I went on a cross country road trip from Princeton to Los Angeles that we did in like 12 days that wow. was the eighth cross country road trip seventh cross country road trip that I had done at that point and I did it with my some like friends from Princeton and also my instructor from my gap year in Indonesia so the the woman who was like in charge of setting up the program and making sure we were safe and et cetera, et cetera, she was in town for my graduation and asked me, hey, Hector, like, I know you do these road trips. Can you do one for me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Let's do it. So I got a chance to go to Oxnard and spend some time there. And yeah, but my my I knew that I would always end up in Chicago. And when people ask me, like, you know, you've 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 lived in. Indonesia, you've traveled to China. I didn't even tell you about China. I've been to Thailand, India, Qatar, Iceland, you know, Mexico. Like they they kind of people assume like that I would be living abroad or that I'd be living in California because that's where I'm from. And I told them, no, I want to be in Chicago for three reasons. Reason number one, I think it's a fantastic city. <laughs> Truly. I think it's I, I think it's the best of the three. I mean the three major American cities, those being Los Angeles, New York. In Chicago, because for me, the, the biggest sticking point is the affordability and just the feeling of like, I, I don't feel like I'm getting screwed over living here like I do in New York, you know, because I spent some time in New York or, or like in Los Angeles. Let me give you an example. My current bedroom, I'm, I'm in a two bedroom, two bathroom with my roommate. I pay 640 for my room and I 10 feet away from the bus, which takes me to downtown. And if I want to get like a train pass for the month, it's I think $70, but I can also get a daily pass for five bucks. And it lets me travel on the trains, the buses like all day. That doesn't exist in, in New York. Like that's as far as I've seen, you can't get a daily pass for like five bucks. It might cost you more. In LA, I mean, I don't have to tell you about the rent and all of yeah. that, right? Food costs, <laughs> gasoline prices, like it's just just on affordability alone, it's incredible. Mm. And yeah, I think summers here are also fantastic. There's a ton to do. The lake is super, super pretty and nice to swim in. Uh, believe it or not, growing up in California and in Oxnard, I was like 10 minutes away from the beach, but I never got in the water. Like oh. I think this is like a really <laughs> common thing for people <laughs> in California, right? Oh it's yeah. Like, it's kind of gross <laughs> <laughs> yeah cold is water yeah and that's not that's not a water to get into for sure <laughs> yeah and and i love swimming the thing about me is i love swimming in fresh water that's like a big reason why i, I go on these road trips is, is to go camping and go swimming and hiking and all that stuff so having the lake close by was really important to me so that's kind of reason number one reason number two i eventually would like to go to law school and i want to go to law school at U Chicago. This school, I think, from what I understand, it's sort of the academic leaning law school of the Midwest. Stanford is that of the West Coast, and I believe Yale is that of the East Coast. 
And the reason I'm interested in this like academic leaning institution is because one of the things that I, I didn't appreciate about my education at Princeton University until like recently was that I really like I really like research. I really like tackling difficult abstract questions that sort of make you challenge assumptions and force you to grapple with you know a whole a whole host of of possibilities i kind of i really really enjoy that work and uh, thinking in the theoretical and when i sort of discovered that for myself at princeton it was already too late like I was already a senior in my spring and I was like, damn, like if only I had this mentality since freshman year, I'd be, you know, I'd be a straight A student. <laughs> but once I made that realization, I think I, I wanted to continue it. And I, since I wanted to go to law school, I kind of put those two together and asked myself, where is the place to do that? And so that's you, Chicago. My roommate, he's actually a PhD candidate in the economics department. So having him as a roommate means that I'm kind of getting connected with the UChicago community. I'm getting to understand the campus and the culture, which was important for me if I was going to, you know, if, I, if I'm going to apply it to the school. Now, the third reason I'm here in Chicago is because I want to buy a house here for my mom and my two brothers. They live in Mexico. They, they live near Cuernavaca. And unfortunately, because my mom was living undocumented, the moment she moved back, she got a 10-year ban from reapplying to, for, to, to, entry, to enter the United States, right? That was back in 2020. She has served like four years of that penalty so far, which gives me six years to go to school, build a career, save money, buy a house, so that everything is ready when they apply and hopefully get you know, a green card or something to be able to stay. What's like super, super unfortunate about all this, this whole situation is that my two younger brothers are U.S. citizens. However, they can't enjoy the full benefits of, of, you know, being a U.S. citizen because they have to be with my mom. Like my mom has to, you know, she's, she's the one that wants to take care of them and has to take care of them. But because she can't be here, they can't be here. And so my responsibility has been to send money home, to make sure that, you know, they, that I, I can do the, the most that I can to help them, you know, while, while we're separated. And, and I wanted to be here in Chicago because of these reasons that I listed before. It's affordable. It's a great place. I also have a cousin here who I'm getting to, to, I'm getting really close with. He's a physician. He's, he's been practicing for a really long time. And he's been a huge pillar of support for me. And my family, when like things were things were rough, and I guess I want her to have sort of I want her to be in that community because she won't find that in California. That like there's there's essentially nothing left for us there. Mm -hmm. So if we have to restart, like why not have it be here where I am, where my cousin is, where it's affordable, where you know, we can kind of start fresh and, and Chicago is pretty immigrant friendly too. So, so that's a plus. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of like the pitch. I tell people about why I'm here, what I'm doing, what I'm up to. Yeah. Well, hey man, that's a really amazing plan. 
like have it all laid out. You know, I think six years is like plenty of time to get it all accomplished. And and I'm glad that it is much more affordable there. Hopefully one day it'll be affordable here in California as well. But I don't know if that'll it'll ever happen. But, you know, if you could buy a house for like a lot cheaper than here, then I would 100% buy it over there and, you know, uh, make sure she has a, a good community, right, to start a new home in and, and all that. So really good stuff, man. I think we need more first-generation students like you that do the same for their parents, right? Whether they're out of the country or whether, if they're still here, like, hey, just help them out too, right? I mean, they they struggled a lot for us to, like, get to the point where we got to, like, graduate and all that. So uh, it's it's good to hear your story and for others to get inspiration from that. And the going to law school, like, hey, keep it going. I think that's the good thing about realizing that when you're an undergrad, even if it's during your senior year, it's still good because you still have grad school, right? You still have a master's program you can apply to. And if you realize it when you're getting your master's program, you can still go for your doctorate, right? So, so there's yeah. all these levels the beyond learning, that you could yeah, the learning keep on going. Yeah. So got to gotta keep it going. And I mean, the law field is always a really great field to get into. And I mean, people are always going to be suing others, right? There's always going to be cases to fight for, right? I don't think that's ever going to end because there's there's always going to be things that people debate on, right? So it's it's great that uh, my, you're chosen that. I, I don't I don't quite have a trajectory yet with post law school. Mm. I'm sort of hoping to figure that out once I'm there, but I I do want it to lead to ad, like a advocacy you know, working for, well, I essentially being in the service of others. I think that's one of the big lessons that I learned from my time at Princeton is, is that while I was there, I had the opportunity to see what extreme poverty looks like having lived in, in Indonesia and sort of seeing the effects of capitalism and U.S. imperialism, you know, in, in Indonesia and what that does to people and communities and on the other hand, I also got to see what real wealth, you know, and rich riches look like being on the East Coast and, and being in these really kind of elite and exclusive spaces. And I think if more people saw what these two ends of the spectrum truly look like, they would be furious, right? So that's like, I'm using that fury and that rage to sort of yeah, to to take what I've learned and, and at Princeton, my privileges, this the the um, sort of spaces that I can now enter and use that for good for people who don't have access to these spaces and who need someone on their side to advocate for them. So one 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 of the things that I was telling my friends at the end of graduation was that I almost wanted to blow off graduation, like. My parents weren't going to be there because they're in Mexico. They can't right get get a visa or whatever. Not even a travel visa. That's how strict the laws were. So my parents weren't going to be there. I had already seen the previous year's graduation. I like almost blew it off. And my friends were like, "Why?" And I was like, "Well, like think of it this way, right? I don't think that's the pro like going to these to these ceremonies and wearing the costumes and everything." That's yes, that's one way to celebrate and to what's the word I want to use here to honor yeah. 
your college education. That's one way to honor it. But that's not how I want to honor it. Like I want to honor it by using these the 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 privilege and the knowledge and and everything that comes with it for good and for those who need it most. Like that is how I'm going to honor my my time at Princeton, not by popping a bottle of champagne and which I did by the way. But like <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh that's yeah. Fun. No, I I get you. Yeah. Like that's more of a symbolical ceremony, right? It's like it really there's more meaning behind the ceremony, right? When you're going through it. Yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, there's there's more that goes to it and you get your degree, but it's like, what do you do with it? Right. So I'm glad that you're mentioning that. And yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine it how tough it would be to to know that hey, like my parents aren't gonna be there. I mean, my parents are at both of my graduations and it, I, I get you. It would be a rough like place to to be there, but I'm glad your friends were able to <laughs> convince you to like still kind of go through it. And hopefully, I'm assuming like yeah, they probably had like a webcam live stream, right? Where your parents maybe would be able to still see you virtually, right? Did they have that option? Did. Yeah, they did. And my parents were sending me messages right away. Yeah. The real, the real unfortunate thing about Princeton graduations is that you you don't actually walk the line. There is no walking the line, right? So okay. parents show up to this graduation ceremony thinking that they're going to see their kid, like shake the president's hand and get the diploma. That doesn't happen. What they do instead is they have all of the students sit in the, they sit on chairs on the football field and then they call them up by departments and they'll say economics department, like everybody stand up and then everybody stands up and then like you clap and then it's like philosophy, math biology all three of you stand up and then you stand up you tip your cap and and they just go through all the departments so for my department i was one of two kids in my department oh. and yeah whenever i told whenever i tell people that that's how small my department was they always laugh and they're always surprised so on graduation day i thought it would be hilarious if when they called out near eastern studies like hundreds of people stood up <laughs> And like it like confused everybody, you know. And so I was whispering to people next to me saying, hey, hey, when they call out Near Eastern Studies, like you should stand up, you should stand up, like regardless of what your major is. So that's kind of how I was able to make my own fun during graduation. Yeah. <laughs> so what I guess was it just like a 30 minute, one hour graduation? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that, that's a lot of time they say from like the typical, they say your name. You're walking the stage in line and, and you go on like that. How was that? So, yeah, the, the, the university also includes, let's see, there's a lot of speeches from people, <laughs> speeches yeah. from like alumni, some, some alumni that they want to recognize for contributions to research or medicine or whatever. They also have a ceremony for, what do you call it? What's the term? They have a ceremony for like notable people that they want to give Princeton degrees to, even though they didn't study there. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I forget what it's called, but... Like um, honorary graduate or something like that? Yeah, like an honorary a, graduate. Yeah. yeah, so sometimes they'll have musicians go up and the, the musicians will give a speech. or whatever. <laughs> And then they do the student ceremonies and then they do the graduate students. And so it, it, it ends up being like an hour and a half. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a... I mean... There's not that much of a student population, so I'm like wondering why would they not want to highlight? I guess like other schools, but yeah, that's the first for me. I I thought all the schools actually like did as my graduation, so I just figured everyone's everyone's <laughs> probably 
doing the same thing, right? You go online from like your department and you know they they say your name. You give them the sheet of paper and they it's pronounce baffling. your name hopefully right. <laughs> it's baffling because universities with student populations much, much bigger than Princeton, you know, do that. And yeah. and Princeton has what a thousand graduating seniors. Like, come on, yeah. like you don't have yeah. time to change <laughs> each one of them. Yeah, especially for how much they charge too, right? It's like, come on, you charge so yeah, much. Yeah, and, and they don't. They don't tell you. So parents show up and they spend all you know a bunch of money on the flights and the hotel just to see their kid like tip the cap and sit down. Yeah, just to see him stand up one time and then sit back after like what three seconds maybe. Yeah, yeah, well, it's ridiculous. I, I was expecting more like you know, like the digital board, like each person's name. And maybe if, if it's only a thousand, like 20 second real video of you. <laughs> of like, yeah, like a baby photo. Yeah. Something. <laughs> something you put together. They ask you like, hey, put, put a reel together. Maybe I'm getting them ideas now. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> the modern graduation is going to be reels people create. <laughs> well, you moved to Chicago. You're there now. I know you talked about it in one of your reels, right? That you're ghosted by recruiters. You spent a few months like trying to find the job. Before we get to like the opportunity that came about and and the reason why like I found out about you, like just tell me more about some of the moments, like briefly that you got recruited, like that you sorry. Tell me more about some of the moments where you got like ghosted by recruiters and kind of what kind of jobs were those? Yeah, definitely. So let me think so basically i was like chilling just relaxing all of june and july and it's like towards the end of the end of july where i'm like shoot i need to like sit down and actually apply because summer's ending and and i I think i had pushed it off for so long because i didn't i wasn't actually sure of what it is that i wanted to work in or do or whatever i had some experience working at a law office in princeton sort of as like a secretary I had some experience teaching in Indonesia and teaching in China, but the majority of my summers were spent just like trying to survive, like working DoorDash, working random jobs because of COVID, right? That took away a lot of opportunities for people to get work experience during the summer. So I'm super confused and I'm like, well, I I know what it's like to work in a law office. Maybe I'll apply for that, right? I want to go to law school. I guess it makes the most sense. So I applied to this firm. They were looking for like a a billing assistant, someone to just like send bills out, like, you know, dozens of bills out because it was like a law. It was a big, big law firm. And I applied with a cover letter and got an invitation to do like a pre-recorded interview. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but they oh, send no. you a link. Yeah, they send you a link and they ask you to respond to questions that are pre-recorded by a recruiter. So they give you like 30 seconds per response and you kind of submit that. You don't actually speak to anybody. You're speaking to a video, right? A pre-recorded video of a recruiter oh, okay. asking you a question. I think it was like three or four questions. I submit it, whatever. I actually, I I fully believe I would not hear back from them because of how badly I did on my very first job interview, you know, like legit job interview for yeah. full-time employment. <laughs> I like tanked it. And then like a week later, they say, hey, we want, like, we want to invite you to the second round. 
I'm like, oh, fantastic. Like, here's my chance to, to really shine, you know, be on camera and be face to face with somebody. I think the interview was scheduled for like 30 minutes. It was done by like minute 20. And I was a bit nervous because <laughs> I knew we had allotted the full 30 minutes. And so by the end, she was just asking me like, so that, that wraps up. Like, do you have any questions for me or anything? And, and I just kind of asked like, I think one really good question that I asked was, what is something that I should ask that I haven't asked about? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And her response to me was, well, you should maybe start thinking about like opportunities to grow within the company, right? Like if you start in the billing assistant role, can you move up to like a billing manager or director or whatever, right? So that's one question that I know I'm going to be asking for like the rest of my job interviews moving forward. You know, so just wanted to share that with y'all. Ask your recruiters, hey, what's one thing that I haven't asked that you think is important that I ask? <laughs> so I was feeling good. I was like, yeah, I ended it with a pretty solid question. And so then the woman said, she said, yeah, we'll reach out to you to schedule a third interview. And I'm sitting here thinking like, wait a minute, this is this is an entry level position for a billing, like a, a remote billing assistant like job where I'm just looking at like spreadsheets and sending invoices out all day. I have all of the qualifications. I in fact may be overqualified and I'm being asked to return for a third interview. You know, I was happy that they were that they wanted to invite me, but I never actually got the invitation. <laughs> I was ghosted. <laughs> Literally I was like ghosted and never heard from that firm again. And I was I don't know, pretty confused because they weren't responding to my follow-ups. My portal in their website was empty. And I, it was just really frustrating not knowing when I needed to give up on that. <laughs> of course, I still needed to look for other things. So I applied for jobs. I applied for a job at Trader Joe's. You know, I was thinking, well, I, I can apply to like a couple law firms, try to get like an office job, you know, get paid a decent salary. And if that doesn't work out, I'll just work at Trader Joe's for the time being. Well, it turns out Trader Joe's wasn't willing to hire me either. Like I couldn't even get a job at Trader Joe's, which I mean, to be fair, you know, from their perspective, what they see is this Ivy League college graduate with, you know, pretty interesting work experience, but but like, what is he doing at Trader Joe's? <laughs> you know, like, I, I think they expected me to, to be there for a month and then dip out to go do something else. Yeah, and They weren't willing to take the chance on me, you know, and, and it's unfortunate that I didn't get a chance to kind of share the full story because I would have stayed. I totally would have stayed at Trader Joe's <laughs> if they hired me, you know, but, but it was like a moment of real fear and, and frustration that I was getting overlooked by, let me think, I was getting overlooked by bigger firms because I was a recent graduate with very little work experience in a field that is just completely like so random, right? The Middle East. Wow. Like a lot of times I would, I, they would get the question like, why aren't you working for the state department? Why aren't you doing, getting a PhD or something? And yeah. so. So it was really frustrating because I was getting overlooked by big firms. And then I was getting 
denied by like entry level kind of uh, service jobs because I was overqualified. You know, so I was like, what the heck? Like, nobody wants to deal with me. The bigger firms don't want me because I'm not experienced enough. And the smaller people don't want me because I'm overqualified and they think I'm not going to stay. So I was like, I have no idea what to do. I, I ended up borrowing money from friends and, and going into debt because that money that I told you about that I wanted to save for my scholarship, well, it like ran out. I, mm-hmm. I got, I had to pay rent. I still had my living expenses. I still had to send money home. So it's really thanks to the like, kindness and generosity of my friends who were willing to let me borrow you know, not small sums of money, like thousands of dollars that they were willing to lend me to mm. you know, help me find, you know, just help me out while I found something. And it wasn't until mid-October that I found my current job. So, so you have to think that's June, July, August, September. And half of October, we're talking four and a half months here where my savings were depleted. The money that I was making from DoorDash during the summer, like gone. The money that I had to borrow from friends, like gone, right? Life is expensive. (laughs) And moving, moving to a big city with no job and no apartment is also not for the weak. Just putting that out there because (laughs) it takes a whole lot of resourcefulness. It takes a lot of really solid, like mental fortitude, right? To throw yourself into such a maybe unknown situation, right? Where you don't know where you're going to live. You don't know how much money you're going to be making. Therefore, you don't know what kind of like apartment you can afford. And and you're like new to the area. So you're still making friends and connections. And so it was a really, really weird time that only now has started to settle down. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, four and a half months could seem like, I don't know, year two years when you're in that situation. But, you know, I'm glad that you got the opportunity and and now we're here, right, with this interview that all came about something that happened with this opportunity, right, with this consulting firm called uh, Agile Rainmakers, which uh, I think is quite an interesting name that they have going on there too. But tell me, like, how... First of all, let's talk about how you came across this opportunity and then you could expand into how Intrimbers Manager, the Instagram page, got started. Definitely. So yeah, so it's it's mid-October. I'm like desperate. And my roommate tells me, Hey, Hector, did you see the invitation to the Princeton networking event here in Chicago? And I thought, no, like what is that? And he said, Oh, did you know that there is a Princeton club of Chicago where alumni get together for social, like social events, networking events. And I was like, no, like, how do I, where do I sign up? So I sign up for this networking event and I don't know what to expect because on the flyer, they were saying like, you know, this is going to be a super chill event. Just come out. Like, don't bring a resume. Don't, you know, don't be, I guess it was just going to be casual. So I show up like in like a jean jeans and a sweater <laughs> just kind of chilling talking to folks and there there's like a there's a not too many young people there's like a, a lot of older alumni so i'm talking to them and getting to know what they do and also in the back of my head also thinking like who's somebody that could either give me a job or connect me with someone who who can hire me and 
I don't know. I think at some point in the night, I, I just enjoyed talking to these people more than I did trying to get a job from from this. Mm. So by the end of the night, I'm like, well, you know, I gave it my, my best shot. I had fun, met some really cool people and yeah, whatever. So I'm reaching for the the snacks that are like left over for the night and over comes Rob, who's also like reaching for the snacks. <laughs> and oh, we wow. both like look at each other and he tells me, oh, hey, like, I don't think we've met. And I say, no, we, I, we haven't. I'm, I'm Hector. I'm class of 23. I just moved here. And someone from across the room sees us having this interaction and says, oh, Hector, like, I'm really glad that you're talking to Rob. If there's anybody who can get you a job, it'll be this guy. And so Rob then hears this and his eyebrow goes up and he says, oh, you're looking for a job? And I say, yeah, I've been looking for a while and, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do anything at this point. It's, I'm, I just, I just, I'm looking for full-time employment. And he tells me, he says, okay, like, tell me about what you did at Princeton. So I kind of go through all my stories and, and he gets excited and tells me, hey, Hector, why don't we like have coffee sometime next week? I'll show you around my my firm and our office and you'll get to meet, you know, the folks who are there. And I said, okay, awesome. I got my foot in the door somewhere. And so people are packing up to go home and everybody's got their own ride. They've got their ride situation figured out, except for Rob. Rob is there like, oh, shoot, am I going to have to call an Uber? Meanwhile, I'm I'm thinking here, think standing there thinking like, oh, I should be like, I should take Rob home. Like, here's my chance to like talk to the CEO of Agile Rainmakers, this guy who's like already excited to talk to me and wants to invite me to his office. Like, what a what a really cool gesture, you know, to show him. And he agrees. And so I like we get in my car and we're driving home and he starts asking me about like what I'm doing in Chicago. And I tell him about my family and my history and like why I'm here, what I want to do. I get to know more about Rob and hear his really cool, you know, stories. And by the end of the, the ride, we're like sitting in front of, we're sitting in my car in front of his apartment. He tells me, you know what, Hector, like after talking to you, after talking to you, I like really, really excited to work with you. I want to create, you know, he said, I, I've been thinking about creating a sort of assistant position, like a full-time assistant position at my company. And I'd be really happy to, you know, work with you. And I was like, yeah, okay, thank you, Rob. Like trying to hide, or trying to hide like my really, really, you know, eager enthusiasm and happiness and joy or whatever. And I just tell him, okay, I'll see you next week. And he gets out and I drive off and I'm just like pounding my, my steering wheel. Like, yes, like this is the moment I was looking for. Like you cannot write this stuff, right? It was like out of a, like out of a movie. Yeah. Uh, it's truly like how, what it felt like to, to pull up to a networking event meet the CEO of a company and like have like a kind of one-to-one time with him and then end up getting a job offer by the end of the car ride. Uh-huh. Like, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, so that's, that's the story of how Rob and I met and Rob, he is, he has a, a lot of experience working with young people like college students, recent grads. He's hired dozens of interns in over the last like five years. So I think he, he was sort of maybe comfortable bringing on a young graduate, you know, into the into the firm. The challenge for us, though, was to kind of define what my roles and responsibilities would be as a full time employee and like half intern, half 
full-time employee. So let me, let me, let me explain a little bit more about what I mean. So when Rob first brought me on, my duties were to try to market his book, his book, How to Intern Successfully by Robert J. Corey. It's a book that he published in 2021. And he wrote it because after working with so many interns and hearing their stories and also stories from managers, like you realize that there was a lot of work that could be done in sort of dignifying the internship experience in a way that brought the most value and empowerment to interns and also brought the most value to companies and like managers and and their firms and and all of that, right? To build, to design internships in a way that, that is mutually beneficial, respectful, authentic, and empowering so he he wrote that book and wanted my he wanted he asked me to help get the book off the ground and get it launched and you know get the word out however he was also thinking making me an intern manager for the following summer because he does this summer program every year he invites like three to four like four to five interns to come to Chicago and work on consulting projects for the summer. And he was thinking of expanding it, making it twice as big, where he would manage one half and I would manage the other half. So in order to understand the internship program, he asked me to go through the internship program myself as an intern, right? Oh, okay. from, from like October until the end of January. I was working with him as if I was an intern myself, right? So I went through all the trainings. I went through all the the readings that he has him do, the exercises, the check-ins. Like he wanted me to get the full intern experience so that I would be in a in a better position to manage the the incoming interns for the summer. So that's how I got the title, like intern, <laughs> even though I was working with him like forty hours, you know, like. Like do like being more involved than a typical intern would be. So, yeah. So with the book, we tried we tried lots of of things. Like tried marketing on Facebook. We tried doing stuff on Nextdoor. I mean, a lot of it was online. You know, we we weren't like knocking door to door trying to trying to sell the book. We were like calling universities and calling high schools. And yeah, it's really tough, man. It's really. It's really tough to get people's attention through through the phone, through the internet. And yeah, one of the like lessons I learned right from the beginning is is that getting people's attention is difficult and then doing like having to follow with a sale is even more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so so I'm thinking shoot, we need like a different strategy. It's 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 January. This is like the final stretch of my quote unquote internship. Yeah. I need to like come up with like some breakthrough result, you know, and I'm thinking, all right, we have Instagram and I've had some like mild success with making memes <laughs> on Rob on, on uh, Rob's personal Instagram page. It was like making some internship memes. And that's kind of how I got my start in video editing. So. Yeah, so I was thinking, all right, what if we made a reel that went viral? 
okay, what's an idea for a viral reel? The first thing that came to my mind was, I was like, what if I went on camera and I said, hey, Instagram, I'm here with my, my manager, Rob, and he says that for every follower we get, he'll let me draw a dot on him with a Sharpie. You know, like something ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, like that would be the perfect pitch, you know, for to get people to follow the page. Because at the time, what I was noticing on Instagram were a lot of these pages popping up of people doing uh, similar things. I will run an inch for every follower I get. I will like drink a milliliter of milk for every <laughs> follower I get. I'll play a note on my guitar for every follower we get. Right. So I knew that this format was like, powerful. It was just a matter of combining that with an interesting enough pitch. And in in brainstorming these ideas, I realized that the intern manager duo is something that can be leveraged and made fun of and like used for entertainment, right? Because how often do you get to see media where the intern is like the powerful one or like the intern is the one that's like, you know, bossing around the the manager or, or whatever. Right. Like I wanted, I wanted the page. I wanted the Instagram page to play on that intern manager dynamic where the intern is this like young, like Gen Z kind of reckless, maybe pushes back a little, you know, versus the manager who's like old, like a like boomer Gen X you know, dresses corporate kind of thing. And yeah. And so I thought, all right, what if like Rob and I just do silly challenges? We do skits. We do. Yeah. Just like play it on that theme as much as possible. And and I thought the most appropriate title for that would be intern versus manager, you know, because in my head I was thinking me and Rob, we would do like three point challenges, have like pickup line contests, You could like dress better, like push-up contests. I don't know, right? Just like wacky stuff like that. And originally, Rob was like confused because <laughs> he was thinking, "Why is it? Why is it intern versus manager? Like, we don't want the interns and the managers fighting. Like, we want them to be, you know, friends." <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, Rob, I know, but for the purposes of like entertainment and Instagram, like, oh. I think this this is the way we do it." So then his next question was, all right, what is the first pitch? Like, what is the first video we do? And originally, I actually wanted us to jump into Lake Michigan. I wanted me and Rob on camera and say, (laughs) hey, Instagram, we're, we're out here in Chicago. We're thinking of jumping into Lake Michigan in the middle of winter. If you want the intern to jump in, hit like. If you want the manager to jump in, leave a comment. If you want both of us to jump in, like leave a follow or like follow the page Uh. right but around that time is when chicago got this really cold cold like storm it was like minus 15 or something here uh, in chicago so we had to we had to throw that idea out the window right away because it was impossible (laughs) Um, and and so we were brainstorming brainstorming i i talked to a friend and he actually brings up the idea of my manager paying me a cent for every follower we get. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Like, I think, I think there's a lot of people out there who would love to see a manager, you know, lose money or, or like lose a yeah. bet, you know, whatever. <laughs> like 
it's like the people versus the managers, the man, the the boss, the whatever. <laughs> and I was I was actually a bit nervous about what Rob would say, and he was excited to do it, and he wanted to do it authentically. You know, he actually wanted to pay me for the followers I get. So so what you end up seeing on the page is not it's not a gimmick. Like he's you know he's paying me actually my salary for doing all that work. And on top of that, I'm getting a bonus for the mm. follower we got on the page. And yeah, we didn't know what to expect. I, <laughs> I'm i actually really surprised that the very first video that we posted on the Instagram has over 4 million views. And I think it's the video with the least like production quality <laughs> of all of the, the videos. I mean, maybe except for a handful, but like... I was just thinking like, no way this video that I spent maybe a couple hours on has 4 million views and the ones that I spent 12 plus hours on have like less than a hundred thousand. <laughs> so that's how it goes I, down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. And and I guess that just shows that the pitch was good enough. You know, people found it entertaining. And I think I think what worked about that challenge was that it got people kind of debating. Because if you go on the comments, you have half the comments saying, yo, you're getting scammed. Like, that's only a hundred bucks. Like, people would pay way more than a than thousand dollars for a hundred thousand followers. And then on the other half, you have people saying, like, yeah, you go. Like, screw the manager. Let's take his money. Eat the rich. Like, a hundred bucks is a hundred bucks. <laughs> so, so what's really cool is that it doesn't matter what you comment, right? The comments and the likes and the shares mm-hmm. are all generating that engagement and i I, like wasn't thinking about that when i when i made the video i was just kind of hoping someone would be like oh funny like this kid is getting money from his boss for a follower why not but people like got heated they got heated in the in the in the chat (laughs) and yeah it was it was really really fun seeing it take off It, it it took like a few days maybe like five days before we really started to see followers like pouring into the into the channel i I think like day five we had maybe like three thousand followers and then day six we had like ten thousand and then a day later we had twenty thousand and then forty thousand and then fifty thousand like we were doubling on a 24-hour basis which is insane (laughs) yeah i like like rob and i were looking at each other like like what do we do now (laughs) like we had to answer we had to answer so many questions really really early on because we didn't expect the support to arrive and to show up so quickly, you know? So we were thinking, Oh shoot, we got to like do these reveals. Like, who are we? Right. People are asking like, who the hell, who the heck are we? <laughs> and so that's how we came up with the idea for making the intern reveal and the manager reveal like smack in the middle of this mm. any challenge thing, you know, because we felt like the pressure was kind of there to, to put out something else, you know, tell our story. And, and yeah, and uh, I, I guess what else is there to say about that? We, we built the page ultimately to help students feel confident in the entire internship process, right? From start to finish, because it is a daunting process and how, well, it can be a daunting process. However, having that work experience on your resume before you graduate is one of the best decisions that you can make for yourself and your career. And that's like speaking from 
a bit of my own personal experience, right? Like I wish I I almost sort of I don't know, not regret, but but I I, I maybe wish I had made more of my summers to explore different work opportunities such that when applying for jobs, I could speak, speak about more, you know? So I, I really cannot stress enough the value of having those work experiences and, and, and maybe even like much more than, than just working hard at those internships. It's also about putting yourself in the mindset to make the most of it, to make connections with your coworkers and your managers that you feel good about you know the 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 relationship that i have with my manager rob i feel really really good about you know i know that he has the best intentions for me and knowing sort of the the footing that we're on makes it a lot easier for me to be honest with him about the things i'm struggling with or the things i don't know you know about the work i'm doing if I have questions, it's like really easy to go up and say, hey, Rob, I'm stuck. Like, can you help me here? You know, and, and I think if you don't have that level of communication and maybe authenticity with your managers, it can, it can feel really, really gross. It can feel really, really, you know, bad when, when you're stuck on something and you feel like, like you're not valuable and that you're useless. And, and if, if you even try to bring it up, you're going to be seen as, you know, not capable. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just not how you learn from, from those kinds of experiences, right? And that's not what you want to be getting out of those experiences is, is what I'm trying to say. So that's sort of the philosophy behind the page. And moving forward, now that the penny challenge is done, <laughs> we want to start, we want to start like, I guess having those conversations on Instagram about what it means to intern successfully, how you do that, the sort of questions you need to be asking yourself, the mindset you need to you need to put yourself in before, during, and after your internship to make sure that you excel, you do well, you you get a return offer and you make friends and connections that you enjoy and that you find valuable. So that's sort of the state of things around intern versus manager and we're at 68,000 followers yo <laughs> yeah in less than a month too right? I was just saying it earlier I mean that's that's really amazing <laughs> there's a lot of pages that don't get to that amount in like forever right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> we're near a thousand too <laughs> yeah and so like it, it always trips me out because if you had told me in May of 2023 hey Hector you're gonna be like the face of this Instagram page with nearly 70,000 followers I, I I call you crazy but that's that's kind of what life threw at me and I think it's a really good metaphor this this Instagram page and what it was what me and Rob were able to create with it I think is a really good metaphor of what sort of my my life has been it's about making the most of what you're given, being resourceful with it, and coming up with something beautiful at the end. I think it it describes my high school experience really well. It describes my college experience really well. It describes this quote-unquote internship. By the way, I'm a full employee now. I'm a W-2 worker. Nice, nice. Congratulations. We're we're moving up in the world. (laughs) (laughs) That's why everyone needs to get an internship because they could turn into full-time jobs and you're an example of it. It happened to me as well. So hey, it's, it's a thing, right? You could, 
you could move on to be a, a full-time employee and you know like i'm just glad that you guys started the page like i, I said it earlier as someone who had a few internships myself i know that they're really important and not that many students realize that and sometimes you may don't realize it until you're after you've graduated like you mentioned earlier and it's good that you guys are out there being able to tell everyone like hey this is the book check it out you know and this is my experience right after you've kind of gone through it as well and being able to lead other students to go through that program i think it's gonna be really great for you for rob as well to have more students there and more opportunities for people to get more experience in their field get a full-time job maybe there maybe somewhere else but at the end of the day you're helping all these students out with opportunities that maybe they wouldn't have had right away or they would have had to like wait more months and you, you mentioned your mm -hmm. struggle i mean i feel like most students out there you go through some sort of like struggle after graduation it's not always like i think people make it seem right oh you graduate you got a job like waiting for you like no it's it's a little bit more challenging th than it is there so great for you guys in doing that and not just and just doing that but in doing it in a comedic way where newer generations that we know have a shorter attention span they're on social media more they want some like funny element to whatever it is that <laughs> that they're learning which is fair i mean we all like some comedy it's nice to have that so that way they can follow the page and be more in tune right as to like hey i need an internship and i remember this because i saw this really funny video <laughs> on instagram <laughs> so Glad you guys are doing that. I'll have to check out the book sometime too. I pull it up on Amazon too. It's actually pretty affordable if anyone wants to get it too. They have a Kindle version for like 10 bucks. Or if you want the paperback version, it's like 17 bucks. So I mean, that's that's a pretty good price for a book that's gonna help you out, especially if you know you're trying to figure out how to make the most right of that of your like internship experience, wherever that might be at, right? So yeah. And the what I really enjoy most about the book is that you can pick it up as a high school senior. You can pick it up as a college freshman, as a sophomore, as a junior, as a senior, as a recent grad like myself, right? Mm -hmm. Like in any one of these scenarios and contexts, it will be useful for your career and, you know, equally for your own personal life. Because what the book talks about is kind of questions about identity and like, the sort of the things that are holding you back from fulfilling your your passions and your skills and so you 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 I mean this is the book is written in the context of work but you take that you apply it to your life and who knows where it'll take you so for students that's how to intern successfully and of course the flip side of that is for managers right managers got to know how to how to <laughs> create internship programs and and you know make them valuable for everybody involved. And so that's why Rob also wrote Intern Management, which is also on Amazon. You can also find it there. Oh, I'm glad I, he also, <laughs> there's something for uh, either side, right? Of the intern versus manager <laughs> yeah. side of things too, which is uh, really awesome that he's got that going on. Well, Hector, we've had a great conversation here too. Lots of great stories all around too. I mean, like I mentioned, the first uh, interview that we're doing with a former student and i think you set the bar up high <laughs> for future <laughs> students it's like all right you gotta you gotta go through every phase of <laughs> of your college career and and even great i mean if we have other students like you that can tell us the stories of like every phase so regardless of like when people are listening to this whether you're a college student or you've already graduated and you're still struggling or maybe you might not be at that job that you want to be yet but 
you know, you want to get there. I think people have found some sort of inspiration in something that you've said today. So again, just thank you so much for being on here and good luck with the page. Uh, I, I have no doubt you're probably going to reach 100,000 followers probably in like the next <laughs> month or two. <laughs> thank you. You're, you're really kind, Luis. Thank you for, for inviting me and uh, allowing me the space to share my story. And I hope, you know, people find their path. They they do it with dignity. They do it with confidence. They feel empowered, and you know they we do it together. You know that's that's one of the things that I'm taking away from most in my internship and, and my job search or whatever is like I relied on a lot of people to get me here. Rob, my friends, like my family. So remember that we got to look out for each other. So that's that's how I'll end that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, hey, that's a good message because uh, there's nothing like having support from others to get to where you want to get and, and you need it, right? I mean, there's always people that are willing to help you out, give you advice, tell you about a networking event like it was in your case. And you just <laughs> never know where things can lead you to, right? It's a, one, one thing that might not seem like it's anything like major might turn into something major in your career. And you just got to go and, you know, not, not stay at home, essentially, and <laughs> try and go and and network with people and you never know who you're going to meet at, at the next event that you go to. So great. Well, again, thank you for being on here. Thanks to everyone who listened to this first uh, interview episode that we do here on the College Solvers. And if you all haven't yet, please give the podcast a follow. You can find it at College Solvers on Facebook and Instagram. Check it out. And of course, follow Hector, intern versus manager on Instagram. And let's get him to <laughs> A hundred thousand followers. Let's get a million followers, right? I mean, like, let's do it. Set the bar up, like, even higher. <laughs> like, that's, that's a whole lot of pennies. <laughs> you're in Chicago, so I mean, there's skyscrapers and all that. So why not, right? Like, why you not? can set yeah, it yeah. out. <laughs> set it at that level. Uh, awesome, everyone. We'll see you next week. Again, thank you so much for listening to tonight's episode.